Genesis chapter 2. And I'll read this morning from verse 19 through 24. Genesis 2, 19 through 24. Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heaven, uh, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, uh, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while that he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Lord, this morning I ask you please to help me proclaim the word boldly as I should. I ask you, Father, that it will find receptive and obedient hearts. Through Jesus I pray. So as I mentioned a moment ago, for the next two weeks, I'm going to speak on the subject of sexual purity. Uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but sex is the Latin word for six, number six. I don't know if you knew that or not. But that's not the sex I'm going to be talking about the next two weeks. A minister one, once wanted to do something different on a particular Sunday morning, and I'm not talking about me. He'd call out a word, and the congregation was to sing the song that came to mind. When he called out the word. So they called out the word cross. And the congregation sang the old rugged cross. He called out the word grace. The congregation sang amazing grace. He called out the word power. And the congregation sang there's power in the blood. And then he called out the word sex. And there was silence for a long time. Five, ten, fifteen seconds. Finally, some 87-year-old man stood up in the back and began singing precious memories. Jesus, Jesus is the one who said, what God joined together, let man not separate. And that statement, of course, has to do with a husband and, and wife. And unfortunately, that command has fallen on a lot of deaf ears. Man has been separating what God has joined together since before Christ came to the earth. And of course, that's not the only command that, you know, that man has failed to follow. There, there are many, obviously. But I want to have kind of that uncomfortable discussion this week and next about God's plan for sexual purity. The Word of God talks about, in many places, sexual immorality. And that tells us that God had a particular plan in regard to sexual relations. And, and when that plan is not followed, sexual relations become sinful. 
So in order to please God and to glorify him by avoiding sin, we need to follow the, 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 the difference. Between, we need to know the difference between sexual relations that are right or appropriate and sexual relations that are wrong and are inappropriate. And the first time we learn about sexual relations actually is earlier than what we just read. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And God said to them, and he was talking to Adam and Eve, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God created a system that reproduces itself through its own seed. Plants, animals, and man are all capable of reproduction through the means of a seed. In Genesis 2.24, as, as Tony read, God was a little more specific you know, about the process of reproduction among human beings. God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the Hebrew word there for man and the Hebrew word that's translated their wife are both singular, meaning one man and one woman or wife. We don't learn really much as you go on past Genesis or, or actually through Genesis to the end of Genesis. You don't really learn much about appropriate or inappropriate sexual relations prior to the law of Moses. Because there just isn't a lot of information you know, about it in that book of Genesis. There are a lot of relationships in Genesis, but not a lot of instruction in that regard. So when God entered into a covenant with the Jews and instituted the law, there were some specific laws about sexual relations, and they're located in Leviticus chapter 18. A lot of them are in Leviticus chapter 18. And I'm going to just summarize some of these for you. I'm going to go through some of these. If you want to turn to Leviticus 18, uh, feel free if you have a Bible. Inappropriate sexual relations uh, in Leviticus 18 included sexual relations with close relatives. Inappropriate. So no more sexual relations with half-sisters like Abraham had. You know, Sarah, his, his wife, was also his half-sister. No more of that. No sexual relations with your parent, your sibling, your child, your aunts, your uncles, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your son-in-law, or daughter-in-law. These were considered incestuous relationship. They were close relatives. No sexual relations with someone else's wife or husband. No sexual relations with a person of the same sex. And no sexual relations with animals. There was no law against, I mean, it's not specifically mentioned about having more than one wife or more than one mate, but a man was not permitted to marry his wife's sister if his wife was still living. Now, there was one exception to that, but you have to go into Deuteronomy Chapter 25 for that. It says, If brothers were living in the same family, and one brother died, but had no son, the other brother was permitted to marry the surviving sister-in-law so that she could bear a son and pass her possessions on to him. So that, that probably didn't occur very often. But the reason that God had to spell that out for them was because this was the type of behavior that was going on among the nations that were already in the promised land to which they were going and to which they were going to be driving out and, you know, being near these people. Leviticus 18.24 says, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, 
Because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. So that's what was being practiced in regard to sexual relations among the pagan nations. And God called all of these forbidden sexual relations that I just summarized in verse 29 detestable. So, appropriate sexual relations was limited to adult males and females who married, but not from the same family, and who had never had sexual relations previously. The one exception was a brother's widow, as I just read, who had no son. And another exception we'll talk about next week uh, in 1 Corinthians in regard to a spouse who dies. But as I said, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And the Jews, of course, fell short in obeying many of these laws which is why there were laws governing divorce in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. In regard to Deuteronomy 24, Jesus explained in Matthew 19, verse 8, that Moses permitted a husband to divorce his wife because men's hearts were hard and would not submit to God's will. But God did not alter his plan. When a man and woman married, it was intended until, to be until death parted them. That was God's plan. And that actually still is God's plan. No matter what our society says, no matter what our society practices, that is still God's plan for man. Jesus then said in Matthew 19, verse 6, What therefore God has joined together. Listen to that closely. What God has joined together, let not man separate. When God joins two people together, it's intended to be permanent. And, and, And as I emphasized right then, it is God who joins two people together. You know, we think we do that, but it's actually God who does that. In Malachi, if you look at the, in the prophet Malachi, the very last of the prophets in the Bible, or in the Old Testament, I should say, it says, it says in Malachi 2.15, Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are His. So God is the one who makes two people one. Because the Jews were, of course, unwilling to follow God's will, a man was permitted to divorce his wife, but he had to give her a certificate of divorce to prove that she was truly divorced. And that permitted her to marry again. If the wife's second husband died and the first husband was not, he, the first husband was not permitted to take her back. So the certificate really was a means of protecting the woman in order that she could lawfully, lawfully remarry and not be accused of inappropriate sexual relations or adultery, which was punishable by death. So that was really to protect her. Because man's heart was so hard, and he would would not follow God's will. So, God's will is what we read in Genesis 2.24. Two shall become one. Not three, four, five becoming one, as in the case of polygamy, but, but two, one man, one woman, for life, or until the death uh, of one or the other. Now, Jesus said again in, in, Jesus, in, in Matthew 19:9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
So besides death, there is only one other exception for divorce, and that occurs when a spouse is sexually unfaithful. Now, it's very interesting to me, if you continue, if you read past Leviticus 18 and into Leviticus chapter 21, that there were special sexual relation laws established specifically for the priests of that time. Leviticus 21 verse 7 says, They shall, speaking of priests, they shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. I assume that means raped. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. So the priest was held kind of to a higher standard because he was a holy representative of God. And of course today... We are all a royal priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2.9. So God made the concept of sexual purity very easy to understand. One man, one woman for life. That's sexual purity. There's nothing confusing about that, is there? He didn't make it confusing. He made it simple. One man, one woman for life. And, of course, just as the Jewish people became hard-hearted toward the will of God, our society has also become hard-hearted toward, has been hard-hearted toward the will of God, particularly when it comes to sexual relations. If you go on the Internet, you can find statistics, divorce statistics. I went on the Internet and found this. According to the U.S. divorce rates, 45 to 50 percent of first marriages end in divorce. 45 to 50 percent. A lot of hard-hearted people out there. Christians really, unfortunately, don't have a much better track record uh, when it comes to sexual purity. A daughter once, <clears throat> speaking to her mother, and she wanted to know, Mom, how much do you weigh? And how old are you? Mother, mother said, well, we don't, women don't talk about those things. And she said, then asked her, she said, why did you and Daddy get a divorce? And the mother said, we don't, we, we don't discuss that either. So the little girl was talking to her friend, and her friend said, hey, all you have to do is go in and look at your mother's driver's license because your mother's driver's license will tell you how much she weighs, tell you how tall she is. You know, it, it'll, it'll tell you how old she is. It'll tell you all those things. So the little girl went in, got the driver's license, took a look at it, got all that information, went back to her mother and said, okay, I already know. I know how old you are. I know how much you weigh, and I also know why you and Daddy got a divorce. It's because you got an F in sex. Those are not my jokes. That's why you're laughing. I found those. So due to man's hardness of heart, Paul had to deal with sexual immorality among Christians in the churches. First, Paul dealt with sexual immorality in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, when a man was having an improper relationship with his stepmother. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So having sexual relationship, sexual relations with a relative is sexually immoral under the new covenant, just like it was under the old. In the Gospels, Jesus taught that adultery was a form of sexual immorality. So if you are married to someone and you have sexual relations with someone else, it's a sin. Jesus also taught in Matthew 5.32 that if you divorce your wife for any reason other than sexual immorality, 
you cause her to commit adultery, which anticipates, of course, that she would marry again. Jesus went on to say, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I would think, though, that the same exception would be true here if she was divorced for a reason other than sexual immorality. Now, remember, the priest was not permitted to marry a divorced woman because he was holy. Do people do it today? Oh, yeah. All the time. Is it forgivable? Yes. That's the good news. That's part of the good news. It is forgivable. But, but please, that forgiveness that God paid such a price for to give you should not be used as a license to commit sin against Him. The city of Corinth was a very immoral city, probably comparable to Las Vegas, Nevada, or really any big city. There was a, a temple there to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love and fertility. So you can just imagine. They were there to serve the people. The subject of sexual immorality comes up again in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 13. In the second sentence it says, The body, meaning our human body, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now you think about that for a moment, okay? The body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Your relationship with God is not just spiritual. It's also physical. You know, Gnosticism, you've probably heard that word. If you've been in any classes, you've probably heard that word before. It, it was false teaching that was around the time of, of Christianity, which established and kind of distinguished that the physical was totally separate from the spiritual. They taught that the spiritual was far superior to the physical. So therefore, they didn't believe that Jesus could come in the flesh. You know, because they felt that was defiling. Just the flesh was, was totally defiled. So they didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. But you can't, as we read here, you can't separate the physical from the spiritual. They're intertwined. When it says in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh, it means the spiritual became physical in the person of Jesus. So that's why the law of Moses had laws that dealt with their physical bodies. If their physical bodies became defiled or unholy, that made them unholy. You are holy. You are a holy people. And, and meaning your spirit and your physical body, because the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, if you've put on Christ, the Spirit has taken up residence in your physical body. Verse 19 indicates that you are a temple. This is 1 Corinthians 6. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a physical dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Wow. The fact that He would even want to live in me just is beyond my comprehension. Verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Don't you know? That your bodies are members of Christ Himself? So your body and my body, your body and mine are joined to Christ. Verse 19, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Yes, a huge price. If you have given your life over to Jesus, you're, you're not the sole owner of your body anymore. 
you know, so it's not yours to do with as you please. You don't have that freedom anymore when you give your life over to Jesus. You even lose a little more of that freedom when you get married. I'll talk a little bit more about, about that next week. Verse 15, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Or in other words, have inappropriate sexual relations? Never. You know, never. He, he shouldn't even have to say that. Or verse 16, do you not know that he was joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So when you, as a Christian, if you as a Christian have inappropriate sexual relations with someone, you are taking Christ and you are uniting him in a very unholy way. And it doesn't specifically have to be a prostitute, okay? Prostitution was a huge problem in Corinth and as it is today all over the world. Male and female prostitutes served in the temple of Aphrodite. You know, people would go there and have sexual relations with the prostitutes that were there, hoping that the gods would look down on them in favor. That's why Paul wrote in verse 18, stay away from sexual sins. Other sins that people commit don't affect their bodies the same way sexual sins do. People who sin sexually sin against their own bodies and Christ as well. In no other way. Sexual sins are a sin that's different. He points that out here. So, sexual purity is not difficult to figure out. One woman, one man, until death. It's also not difficult to figure out what happens when you're not sexually pure. You sin against the Lord. What's difficult to figure out is is what to do after I have committed that sin. What do I do now? Am I in a relationship that's inappropriate? Am I in a relationship that I have to break off? What do I do now? We'll discuss that next week in a little more detail. The good news is, the good news is that sexual sins can be forgiven. Jesus died for your sins. Sexual sins and all other sins. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you holiness. He offers you His Spirit to live inside of you so you can be holy. And He offers you eternal life as well. So by responding to Him in faith today, your sins can be all taken away. I don't care what sins you've committed, sexual sins. I don't care how many you've committed. I don't care if you have diseases from that. It doesn't matter. Your sins can all be wiped clean today. And you can be made holy today. You can start over today and begin walking the walk that He calls you to live and live in sexual purity from this day forward. If you'll give your life over to Jesus, if you'll repent of your sins, if you'll confess your sins, and you don't necessarily have to do it in a public way here this morning, but do it. Confess your sins to somebody because He will forgive you. He promises that. He will forgive you. What a God we worship. He tells us what's pure. He tells us what's right. We don't do it. But he says, I'll tell you what, because I love you so much, I forgive you. If you'll put your faith and trust in me, will you do that today as we stand and as we sing?